This is Melissa Milner. Welcome to the Teacher Eyes Podcast. The goal of this weekly podcast is to help you explore your passions and learn from others in education and beyond to better your teaching. The Teacher Eyes will highlight uncommon parallels to teaching as well as share practical ideas for the classroom. In this episode, I interview Leah Henry. Leah is a veteran project-based learning facilitator and instructional coach. She has taught or coached in grades 7 through 12 in rural, suburban, and urban schools. After my talk with Leah, I gathered the resources Leah mentioned and much more, and I share these in my blog post this week, entitled The Teacher's Change Agent, Project-Based Learning. I apologize for some Wi-Fi and sound issues that occurred during this interview. Please enjoy my chat with Leah Henry. So happy to have you here, Leah Henry. Thank you. So I just want to start with what do you want the Teacher As Podcast listeners to know about you and your work? There's a whole lot of answers to that question, I suppose, because I feel like I have my hands in a lot of fires. But I think the number one thing is that I'm not done learning ever. (laughs) Uh, I have found that I am at my best 100% whenever I'm constantly learning. And so that's my chief job is to learn, if that makes sense. And I adopted that mindset. worked for an organization um, called the New Tech Network. And uh, it dawned on me once I was being paid to learn. And it it just strikes me now that I'm uh, back in a a classroom that if we are to be helping other people learn, then it seems paramount that we would be learners ourselves. And uh, I I don't know, I just kind of wrestle with that a lot. I I think about leaders uh, and teachers um, to truly be learners and model what learning is for our students. Or do we want them to to be more static? And as a result, does that mean that what the kids are getting is is kind of static? I I think that's something that I, uh, at the end of the day, I hope that I convey that to people that I'm not not done learning. That's great. Do you do a lot of professional development? In the two years since I returned to the classroom, um, and and full transparency, I did that because my son started kindergarten, my oldest did. And uh, my prior uh, position was one where I traveled around the country, was home uh, maybe like, I think on average, it ended up being like four days a week. And so it just wasn't sustainable with um, my my son starting, you know, kindergarten. And um, I did have a great support network, but I moved back to the classroom so I could be on his schedule. And when I did that, oh man, talk about learning to like, just shut up and listen. You know, I'd been in classrooms all over the country for six years working with teachers and helping them to make their classrooms more student-centered and leading PD, hundreds of people at a time, 10 people at a time, depending on the situation, virtual PD, lots of virtual PD. And, you know, everybody's you know, 10, 20, 30 years younger, (laughs) you're now delivering a totally different set of content. That's been really a weird transition for me. Let's just call it that weird. Um, But in the meantime, I've tried to keep my skills sharp by leading uh, professional development, largely around project-based learning, uh, inquiry-based learning for school districts that request my services. And so I'll do that summer break, uh, weekends. Virtually, I uh, partner with a couple different organizations to provide virtual coaching after school. And then I also uh, have been doing a lot of curriculum writing on the side for a very good friend of mine, Jenny Peratt, who 
uh, is the founder of Crafted Curriculum. Um, so that's kind of the, the gist of where my, I guess my learning continues is, you know, I'm in the classroom with students from 7.30 to 3.30 or so. And then <laughs> I guess in the little downtime you get when you have three kids, you plug in those professional development opportunities when they arise. Right. I, I admire all that you do. That's amazing. And all you have to do is search your name on Google and you can see all the things you've done. It's pretty impressive. Of all the things you've done, what is your proudest moment in your professional work so far? Uh, when I log on to Facebook uh, and I see my former students who uh, now are using skills that I know we worked on in our classroom to help further their careers and make their lives better and do better for their families, that gives me a great sense of pride in my work because I understand that you know I'm not completely responsible for that, but there's a large part of the work that maybe was their high school career um, that contributed to that. And I would also say that, you know, when I see teachers who I've worked with get excited about the outcome of a project class or, or maybe like just get, get excited about being an educator, like that makes me proud too, because that, that is probably the best high I could ever have is, is to see people in a profession bombarded with disrespect uh, with misunderstanding and uh, seeing those people get excited about what they do for a living again. Uh, gosh, that just, that, that's why I continue to do the, the professional development when I can. You know, the day that I don't have that is probably the day I need to hang my hat up. Either <laughs> exactly. that or you need to learn some more, right? Like one of those two, either <laughs> done and you need to like, let me go retire on a beach mountain and, uh, or else I just need to go learn some more and get my uh, mojo back. Right. Can you give an example, and if you can't think of one, that's okay, of either, you know, the Facebook with your students or, or the adult work that you've done, like an example of what you saw that it was like, oh, I think that's because of me. One in particular I think of, she's down in Florida, and she started her own, like, networking organization for women in Orlando, uh, for business women. And she was you know, since she was a student, she probably would have done well in a quote-unquote traditional high school, probably would have done pretty well for herself because um, she had quite a bit of agency on her own. But through a lot of projects, through her whole high school career, God know, only knows how many projects she did because our, our academy I taught um, in Indianapolis there, all project-based learning. And this young lady probably did public presentations to real-world audiences, I don't know, 50 times and then not real world audiences, probably like a hundred times, right? Wow. So, you know, when you're four <laughs> years of doing that kind of communication and you're getting very tech savvy in the meantime, because you're using technology, both Mac and uh, PC quite frequently, learning how to edit videos and all this other stuff. She, um, she took her skill set. Uh, I think she got an associate's degree, maybe even online. And now she runs uh, like a a women's, as I said, like a women's marketing to female entrepreneurs down in Orlando. And I got, you know, super proud of her. But then I also see other kids who, you know, maybe entered into my classroom, not knowing much English at all. And uh, now they are thriving. And just as an adult, that's, that's that a healthy relationship, having their first kids, etc. makes me excited too, because like the young lady I'm thinking of got her LPN 
uh, license and, you know, she's doing well for herself. And I remember the freshman year, she relied heavily on her peers to just even understand what the heck was going on in class because of the language barriers. You know, that's why we do what we do. But then I also would say as a teacher example, the six years uh, that I was blessed to be at New Tech, they still are my friends. And even though some of them aren't teaching uh, in that network anymore, we, you know, we'll still connect uh, reach out to each other for project ideas, uh, that kind of thing. That kind of stuff excites me because there's this like broader network of people who want to do well um, and feel like they can confide in me still, even though I'm technically not like, you know, like their coach or something. Right. That's exciting too. That's great. I would love to do real project-based learning and backwards planning. What structures need to be in place for educators to be able to do this work? And then you mentioned a little piece about equity. I think the key to any kind of uh, pedagogical theory, key to any of that working is for everybody to have the same vision for what the purpose of what you're doing is. And, you know, whenever we would coach leaders and uh, I've done some workshops with like State of Indiana had this series last summer where I led some workshops about leadership. And I was just like, your your focus has to be known throughout the whole school. And if you would like for students to be engaged in problem solving authentically and, you know, diving into what's going on in the world and have it be student-centered, then you have to, as a, as a leader, clear out the obstacles to that. Now, it's about flexibility, but it also is really about trust. You have yeah. to train them. You have to give them the time to plan accordingly. As educators, sometimes we think there are boundaries that actually are not there. Oh, but I have to do this, this, and this. But do you really have to? Who's going to come down on you if that doesn't happen? And I think that's part of like leadership's job to come and say, hey, these are non-negotiables, right? Like for the state or whatever. The rest of this is where you come in as the professional and you figure it out. Uh, and that's where that trust piece comes in. But I think that speaks to equity because of the fact that if you have a one-size-fits-all curriculum, a, a certain set of knowledge that has been imparted that you have to teach, that means that's owned by the people who created that set of standards or whatever, or that pacing guide. And it's not owned by the students. And I think that's the part that, you know, when we, when we speak about student-centeredness, project-based learning, inquiry, any of these methodologies that try to put students at the heart of it, that's where we can get to more equitable outcomes because we want to tap into uh, authenticity and student interest and allow to explain what they're learning in a way that best suits them and isn't, isn't something that has been mandated uh, by a hierarchy uh, that's in place that maybe they haven't had success with before. That's where, and as, you know, when educators are thinking about, oh, how do I make sure I'm reducing inequity in the classroom? Well, I think a lot of us saw a big one in this time of e-learning when I was like, hey, guys, Whichever way you want to demonstrate your understanding of the Industrial Revolution, knock it out. Right. You, you're a list of some for those of you who need a little guidance, right? Like here's, here's sort of my rubric or here's kind of a checklist. I guess I kind of had a checklist that day of what would demonstrate the knowledge. Now you figure out a way to, to explain this, you know, number one, that you have access to. Number two, that um, makes sense to you so I can tell how you make meaning of things. That's, that, was, that was probably the best thing to me that may have come out of this whole online COVID educational learning crisis that we had. Because I think teachers saw, wait a minute, 
there's not just maybe one way to demonstrate competency here. I could I could open that up. Yeah, it allowed for some freedom for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it also it also is is a plea that is a way we can bring equity in the classroom. And I think alternatively, when we limit that and we force certain uh, lens upon our students or a certain way of uh, demonstrating knowledge, that's when we see uh, inequities arise. If, before I go on to my last two questions, just really quickly, if people wanted to learn more about project-based learning, what do you recommend? Well, there's a plethora of books out there. I think, you know, there's, there's some organizations that work to create systems, right, that, uh, like you spoke to, that allow PBL to flourish. Uh, New Tech is one of them. Uh, the formerly known as the Buck Institute, PBL Works does yes. really good work. They do workshops. They do, they do things that could could involve your whole system or could not, right? Yeah. Uh, and New Tech is more system based because they get at the they really believe that you have to change the system to change uh, the outcomes, and so they they don't do as much of that individual. Uh, type work. Then you have organizations locally. I know like in Indiana, Magnify Learning is one. They will go all through the Midwest. Fantastic people there. Uh, Jenny Parat, the the, um, the gal that I contract or do contract work for, she's great too with crafted curriculum. She has an online PBL course. She is just one of the most genuine, charismatic <laughs> <laughs> people I've ever met in my life. I, I, uh, if you, especially if you are elementary and you just have gone to PBL, just felt like nobody heard you. I think Jenny has a heart uh, for elementary ed. She works with a lot of folks in California, a lot of schools when they're in session. I think those are some good resources. And then um, alternatively, like uh, PBL uh, World or the, you know, formerly known as the Buck, Buck Institute folks, they have a whole library that you can search through uh, projects that are sort of ready to go. But the tricky part there is uh, <laughs> who's to say somebody that developed a project in California about vineyards, right? Like it's going to be the project you need to have in like central Arkansas or something. You know, you've got to make it your own. You've got to cater it to your students. And so that's just good places to get ideas. Well, at the end of the you got to be careful you're not just doing projects, right? Like you've got to make um, the learning <laughs> about solving a problem, addressing a serious question. Addressing like the design thinking stuff, you mean? Yeah. So there's, right, that's the, the difference. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, I do project-based learning. Well, not really. You're doing a project after you've taught kids a bunch of stuff. But the big difference in that is that, you know, with project-based learning, they know the why, they know the reason right up front. You know, how do we, uh, how do we raise awareness about uh, the modern day slave trade? I don't know. What do I know about slavery? Okay, good question. Let's go into that, right? Like <laughs> uh, slavery throughout history and then happening and building. And before you know it, you've quote unquote covered a gazillion world history standards just by asking one question, you know, like, what do we know about modern day slavery and human trafficking? And, you know, like the students will come up with an idea to have an exhibition or do a fundraiser for a local sex trafficking, um, uh, you know, awareness or recovery group or something. Um, and that uh, is different than projects because the students are guided the whole time by this bigger question. And, and hopefully it's something that, you know, is concerning to them and is of their in their interest. Very cool. In your work right now, and I know it's it's been different <laughs> because of COVID, but uh, like, what are you zooming in to right now? Is there a certain book or a certain project that you're zooming in on right now? Zooming in. 
there's a couple projects I have going on. One is I'm uh, really wrestling with the idea of integrating ethics education into all my projects somehow. So uh, I'm the ethics, I coached ethics bowl um, at our school. Friends work at the Prendel Institute at DePaul University um, and they, you know, teach ethics or have an ethics podcast, et cetera. And um, that's been kind of in my mind a lot because I see a lot of the questions people are posing out there with regarding like, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Um, you know, should we take down these statues? Should we not take down these statues? All of these questions are seriously questions that we wrestle with like in ethics, in our ethics poll. And, and I, I really want to bring some of those cases and some of that quote unquote wrestling to uh, not really wrestling, right? But to my <laughs> because I, I just... I, I just want our dialogues to be richer and more respectful. And I've really worked on that with community agreements and norms in my classroom. But now I think I'm going to go there and we're going to look for ethical questions that relate to historical time periods and, and do more of that. So that's one thing I'm working on. And then another one is just preparing like everybody else for the unknown as much as I can. Ah, yeah. <laughs> like you not even know a building in the arc, like you, because you don't even know it's going to flood. You just don't know what's going to happen. Um, this uh, impending, oh, I might have to transition everything to online again. What do I need to do? So I've made a little matrix. I've put it out on my Twitter feed and shared it online and people can download it if they want to. But basically it's just a, <laughs> here's what I do in the, the physical classroom. What adaptations do I need to make for a virtual classroom in order to have the same outcomes or are there different outcomes? It's sort of hard to do group work uh, when not every student has internet access. What am I going to have to modify to make sure my classroom is equitable in order to still, right, like have a, a high quality learning experience for these kids if they don't have access? And, and so I've kind of been wrestling with that quite a bit. That's a, that's a big one, definitely. Our, our district has tried to reach out to find out who you know, who has what tech and so on and be able to offer that tech up to them. But yeah, it's a, it's a bigger question for sure. Yeah. It's, and I will admit being a parent and an educator during this time has been, um, it's been fantastic for my own learning and thinking about what makes my son get interested in learning and what turns him off. I think that if we all were to consider that, perhaps we would have more engaging work. Perhaps we would have more students that are work. Um, and maybe my son would get to build this. Uh, oh gosh, he has—he's been drawing, right? Like inventions. I'm like, okay, what do you do next after you draw them? Why don't you make a prototype? Okay, but I need stuff. I need—can you make it for me? No, that's your job. You know, like that's, but how do we tap into that? How do we get to kids' authentic interests? You have to know them, and you have to be willing to help them create um, a learning path that that can meet your also meets their curiosity and their own desire for learning. We need to capture that somehow in this moment. I think that's like a perfect place to end. And I'm going to ask, uh, it, it's an important question to me. What is your favorite movie and why? Oh, my favorite movie is Hoosiers. Um, 100%. That is uh, probably watched it more than any movie in my life. I am uh, a stereotypical Indiana native who loves basketball well okay let me clarify all of the sections where they're actually playing basketball movie i've watched a million times my experience is coaching you know bullying the little guy can beat the goliath right like yeah that is the essence of me is small town rises up you know to go against the big the big guys and um there's just a lot of good little little bits to that one all right so if people want to reach you 
how can that is Twitter the best option for you? Professionally, that's where I hang out a lot because I host PBL chat on uh, currently it's Tuesday nights, 930 Eastern time. And the founder of PBL chat moved on to a job um, and doesn't have time to do it. So for a few years, it was dead and I revived it. And I would just love for more people to come into PBL chat and you can message me there at Leah Ross Henry. Excellent. I'm very inspired and you've given us a lot of resources that I will put in the show notes and just thank you so much. Hey, no problem. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and have not done so already, please hit the subscribe button for the Teacher As podcast so you can get future episodes. I would love for you to leave a review and a rating as well if you have time. For my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheras.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out the Teacher As Facebook page for episode updates. I am sending a special thanks to Linda and Lester Fleischman, my mom and dad, for being so supportive. They are the voices you hear in the Zooming In soundbite. And my dad composed and performed the background music you are listening to right now. My intro music was Upbeat Party by Scott Holmes. So what are you Zooming In on? I would love to hear from you. My hope is that we all share what we are doing in the classroom in order to teach, remind, affirm, and inspire each other. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.